This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the second ever Megasode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to help bridge the gap between our Batman Mask of the Phantasm and Lego Batman, and then Logan episodes. Um, I'll be giving you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on the last two podcasts. Um, so we've got Batman R.I.P., formerly known as the Justice League, um, Transformers, More Than Meets the Eye, I'm forgetting them all already, and also Batman Year Two. Um, but before any of that, let's take a look at some of the comic book, movie and TV news that has broken over the past couple of weeks. And we'll start off with X-Men because there is a bunch of X-Men news out there at the moment. Um, and we'll start off with the main X-Men title. It's increasingly looking like X-Men Supernova will be the next X-Men movie. Sophie Turner at the BAFTAs confirmed to Hey You Guys that she was filming the uh, movie later this year. Nicholas Holt has said he is go- he thinks he's going to be involved. And all of the rumours are pointing towards this being a more direct adaptation of the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, that's according to a plot synopsis that is out there that may or may not be official, but that's where all the signs are pointing. Um, Simon Kinberg has been talking about the Dark Phoenix saga for a while. Um, all of this kind of seems like it can be traced back to him. Um, and it now looks like he is um, potentially going to direct the film as well. So anyone help, hoping for a new direction for the main X-Men movies, um, it looks like we're going to get a lot of the cast back from X-Men, uh, Days of Future Past, First Class, and uh, whatever that horrible one was last year. Apocalypse, that was his name. Um, and that, instead of moving on from Brian Singer, we're just going to be moving over to his main producer, Simon Kinberg. Um, so we'll see whether that happens. Um, but it is looking like X-Men Supernova is the next X-Men movie. And if that is the case, hopefully that means space, um, as in the original Dark Phoenix Saga story, which would be a nice... A nice change for the X-Men franchise. Simon Kinberg, though, has also been talking about Channing Tatum and has reaffirmed that Channing Tatum is committed to Gambit and likened his commitment to Hugh Jackman and Wolverine and Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool. So they still think it's happening. Apparently they're working on a script and they're looking to shoot in early 2018, but it definitely won't get underway any sooner than that. So if we will see a Gambit movie, which Seven James is still convinced we never will, 
we'll probably see that in 2019 at the earliest. Um, more X-Men rumours. Um, apparently, Joe Carnahan is rumoured to be working on the X-Force movie alongside Ryan Reynolds. Um, now, Deadpool 2 is uh, gearing up to be filmed soon, so presumably the next Deadpool outing after that would be X-Force, and I think Ryan Reynolds will probably be one of the creative forces there. Um, if he is working on an X-Force movie, Joe Carnahan seems like to me, kind of a perfect fit for that kind of stuff. Um, we do know that Joe Carnahan is currently working on a remake of The Raid, um, but this might be potentially his next project afterwards because there is talk that he could be writing and directing the X-Force film. Um, and personally, I, I would be up for that because, like I say, I think he seems like a good fit. Um, speaking of Deadpool 2, Drew Goddard is rumoured to be working on the script for that. Um, Ryan Reynolds tweeted that... Um, is Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, I think, are still working, are still on that. They've not, they're not off Deadpool 2. So if True Goddard is working on it, it's likely that he's just punching it up or doing an extra draft or working alongside Reese and Wernick. Um, but that'd be interesting because True Goddard is a name that we see circling around superhero properties an awful, awful lot. Um, we, we will be talking about Logan on our next podcast and Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart have both confirmed that Logan is their last X-Men movie. Um, we always knew that about Hugh Jackman. He's kind of restated that right now he feels like it is the end. Maybe he'll change his mind in three or four years, but right now he thinks this is him, him and Logan done. Um, and Patrick Stewart uh, confirmed yesterday that um, this was his last one as well. Um since we last recorded, we've seen some production art for the New Mutants movie, which uh, pretty much confirmed that Maisie Williams is going to be playing Wolfsbane in that film. And finally on X-Men, we've got some more details on that X-Men TV pilot that Brian Singer is directing, and Jamie Chung has been cast as Blink in the pilot. Um, also cast has been Pop, uh, Blair Redford, who starred in Switched at Birth, and he's apparently going to be playing a kind of underground leader of mutants. Um, this is interesting, though. Blink is a character, not um, not like a main character from the X-Men film franchises, but she was in uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, I believe. Um, and Jamie Chung is, I think, like a pretty decent, sizable casting for this. Um, I like Jamie Chung, and... Um, I think she will. I, I think she she's potentially enough of a draw for this. Like it makes to me at least, it makes this seem like a bigger deal than I thought before. And the fact that she's playing a mutant I've heard of rather than some kind of nondescript one is interesting, and that will um, probably pique James's interest unless they legion her and make her nothing like the Blink in the comics. Um, but we'll see. This sounds this sounds interesting to me anyway. Um, I'm more sold on this than Seven James are. Um, and I think it's interesting that the plot synopsis said that this was about the parents when they cast Jamie Chung in the lead. So I think it's probably going to be more of an ensemble cast kind of thing, um, if I had to guess. Okay, we'll move away from the X-Men stuff now and on to DC stuff. Um, Matt Reeves, after being rumoured for Batman and then rumoured of walking away from Batman, has been confirmed as the director of the Batman. Um, ben Affleck uh, tweeted about it, so it looks like he is still on board. Um, so we've got a Matt Reeves-directed movie with Ben Affleck as Batman coming. Joe Manganiello is on board as Deathstroke. 
I, I, I mean, we spoke about this before. I think Matt Reeves is a good director. I'm glad that he's doing this, but it doesn't seem quite as big a deal as some of the previous directors of Batman franchises have have been. And I don't think I'm as, as excited for this film now as I was when Ben Affleck was directing. Um, but having said that, I'm sure that Matt Reeves can surprise me and do something amazing because I've... Um, I've like I've never not enjoyed a Matt Reeves film, um, so fingers crossed he keeps that streak going with the Batman. Um, alongside that news, though, was the the news that a Nightwing movie is probably on its way. It's being developed, and that the Lego Batman director Chris McKay is attached to that film, and that the accountant screenwriter um, I think this is Bill De, Bill Dubuque possibly um, he's working on the script. Um, now, I know The Accountant didn't have a great reputation, and I didn't particularly like Lego Batman, and I'm sceptical about doing a Nightwing spin-off within the DCEU without any kind of hints at that Robin in the DCEU so far. So, uh, this this seems like a strange one to me. Having said that, it, maybe if you just co- like completely divorce it and ha- have a Nightwing character without having to do all of the back the robin backstory you just kind of assume it's happened and move on from there that could work again though it just seems like another thing that dc is throwing out there and saying well will this fit in and it smacks of no kind of big plans i i i do wonder whether we're maybe seeing dc develop a whole bunch of different movies right now and then depending on how justice league goes down they can then then decide which ones to move forward on and which ones not to. Um, something it sounds like they are moving forward on, though, is Suicide Squad 2, because Mel Gibson has been in talks to direct that film. Um, obviously, Mel Gibson is someone who... Um, it, it's, it's pretty hard to warm to, I think that's fair to say, uh, given his actions in the past decade or so. Um, but he's coming off Hacksaw Ridge, which has kind of seen Hollywood embrace him again and um this seems like a strange fit mel gibson for suicide squad 2 though um mel gibson doesn't seem like a director who's interested who would be interested in superhero stuff but apparently according to some of the reports out there he's more interested by the cast that suicide squad 2 has rather than the concept and the talk is that if he wants to direct it the offer is there from warner brothers and dc it's his to turn down um, so maybe we'll see a Mel Gibson directed Suicide Squad two. Um, you know, on a on a artistic level, I could see Mel Gibson doing a good job with this. Um, but something about Mel Gibson and Suicide Squad, and it just makes me feel a little bit queasy. Um, and then Shazam, there is some news on the Shazam movie. Apparently, Lights Out director David F. Sandberg is in talks to direct that. Um, Again, I'm probably more confident that a Gambit movie gets made than any of these DC movies at this point. Give Put my money on Gambit before Nightwing or Shazam. Um, but Warner Brothers at least seem to be developing all of those. Um, just a quick one aside from all of the main studios now. Hellboy 3 has been ruled out by Guillermo del Toro. After he teased the idea, he then tweeted out that, um, without any explanation really, that it's not going to happen. So, sorry Hellboy fans. Um doesn't look like that trilogy is going to get ended anytime soon. 
Uh, we'll move over to Marvel now, though, and Samuel L. Jackson says that Nick Fury might be turning up in Captain Marvel. That's after he confirmed that he won't be turning up in Black Panther. Um, he was quite funny about Marvel's one black character not showing up in Marvel's black movie. Um, he also confirmed on a tangent that he will be involved with Unbreakable 2, so that's exciting. Um, and we got a new Thor and Daryl short, so if you missed that being released online in the last couple of weeks, Google that. It's funny, again, um, Taika Waititi is doing some solid work drumming up my interest, at least, for Thor Ragnarok, and um, the more Thor and Daryl sketches we can get, the better. Um, and then we got some more details on Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 has had... Um, little bits of uh, kind of merchandising pushed out there in the last few weeks. Um, so there's lots of toys and lots of kind of little synopses and things floating around. Um, no huge details, but I thought we... I, I certainly don't think we've read this out on the podcast before. So we've got the full synopsis for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 now, um, which is set to the backdrop of Awesome Mixtape 2. Uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 continues the team's adventures as they traverse the outer reaches of the cosmos. The Guardians must fight to keep their newfound family together as they unravel the mysteries of Peter Quill's true parentage. Old, old foes become new allies and fan-favourite characters from the classic comics will come to our hero's aid as the Marvel Cinematic Universe continues to expand. Now, obviously that last sentence is probably the most interesting thing there. James Gunn has said that the um, meeting Ego and discovering Peter Quill's parentage happens pretty early in the movie and it's not in there as a mystery, which is why they were so happy to announce it back at Comic-Con. Um... Now, the fan-favourite characters from classic comics coming to our hero's aid, that's very interesting, isn't it? That could be original Guardians, that could be Adam Warlock, um, and we we do know that Sylvester Stallone is in this movie in some capacity, um, so I'd be very interested to see potentially who he turns up as. But I do wonder whether maybe I'm going to have to get Seven James to explain the original Guardians of the Galaxy lineup to me as part of, um, as part of a future podcast, because I... Might become relevant. Um, apart from that, we've got a little bit of TV news. Um, Cress Williams, who was a uh, one of the stars of Heart of Dixie, has been cast in the Black Lightning pilot, and Inhumans has cast Ewan Rian as Maximus, um, who I believe is kind of the villain of the piece. Um, and he was described in one of the trade reports that I saw as the lead, um, which um, could hint potentially at the tone there if we've maybe got an anti-hero as the lead of our show rather than Black Bolt and Medusa and, and the rest of the kind of the good side of the royal family. Um, also interesting that they've cast someone so well known at this point for Game of Thrones in um, a project that does sound to me like it could be Marvel's Game of Thrones. Um, so that's Ewan Rian as Maximus in Inhumans, which is filming in Hawaii um, very shortly, I believe. Um, that's it for this week's comic book movie and TV news, though, and we'll move on now to the discussion of um, the comics that Seven James recommended on the last last couple of podcasts. And I think if uh, probably go in reverse order here, so we'll start off with the stuff that was recommended um, by Seven James on the. Um, Lego Batman episode. So we'll start off with Seb's recommendation, which was formerly known as the Justice League from Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMattis, um, which I didn't realise until I was reading this. Um, now, obviously, Seb in the past has recommended to me um, Justice League International, which I think this is kind of like a uh, 
a spiritual sequel to, but I didn't realise how much later it turned up. This is actually an early 2000s comic. Um, and a great recommendation for the Lego Batman episode because this is indeed very funny. Um, we've got a team made up of Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, Captain Atom, Mary Marvel, the Elongated Man, um, the Elongated Man's wife, Sue, um, Fire and all put together by Maxwell Lord. Um, and basically the concept of this comic is that Maxwell Lord, who is apparently at this point in DC continuity part android, um, decides that he wants to put together a new superhero team, kind of re put together the old gang. And so the Justice League are still out there, so you've got Batman and the Flash and uh, Martian Manhunter and Wonder Woman, all part of that gang. Um, but you've got some of these kind of lesser heroes the cast offs kind of still out there not really part of a team not really not really doing much um blue beetle is kind of semi retired because he has a heart condition um booster gold has married some hideous old woman um so that he can use her money and be a man of leisure basically um elongated man and sue are um private investigators but kind of um not really getting much excitement and and basically they they're all they're all not really doing an awful lot um the team also tries to recruit captain marvel shazam um but he wants no part of it but mary marvel thinks that it sounds fun so she goes along for the ride um and basically this comic is a lot of the humour is derived just from characters bickering with each other. There's also um, a robot called Elron, um, who bickers a lot with Maxwell Lord. Booster and Blue Beetle bicker with each other. Um, Booster does a lot of flirting with Mary Marvel. Uh, it's it's just a lot of good, solid character humour, which is drawn from them bantering. Um there's also a lot of humor by doing some kind of a, a lot of kind of metatextual comics uh, commentary as well, um, and it, it's very self-referential, always kind of making fun of itself. Um, but it's interesting. This is a six-issue arc. It's just it's just the six issues of this comic. I'm from googling. I saw that there was another kind of another series that followed up on this, but this is self-contained within the six issues. And so we kind of get the first couple of issues of the team getting put together, and then they get kidnapped by Roulette, um, who is a character that I've seen recently on Supergirl, um, and Roulette wants to put them in an arena to make them fight against each other, and she um, she does achieve that to begin with, with Mary Marvel and Captain Atom, and kind of mind controls them into fighting to the death. Um, and because Mary Marvel is really powerful, she basically, like, pulverises Captain Atom, and, like just about kills him she doesn't quite kill him but she just about does and um suddenly the comic is really serious and dark um and the issue ends with um ends with roulette talking to <laughs> talking to the camera essentially um and here's what she says um the people in the crowd who came here tonight expecting comic relief are eating their words right now and when you can confound audiences expectations well that's entertainment isn't it entertainment and profit um and that's the kind of stuff that's going on here it's uh, like it suddenly you're going jesus what's happening here this this 
funny little book has suddenly turned into this brutal thing where one of the like the most kind-hearted wholesome character is beating the crap out of another one and looks like she's about to decapitate him and then you still manage to get a laugh out of it when roulette points out what's going on um i i was i, I was really sold on this comic that you get that kind of dark turn in the middle and then um, the final two issues kind of return you back to the more light-hearted stuff and again it continues to be self-referential and these these characters are just fun to be around i found elongated man a little bit dull um fire a little bit dull as well captain atom doesn't get to be around for that long because of that fight but i mean blue beaster and Bo uh, blue beetle and booster gold are fantastic mary marvel is a absolute delight and i um think this is probably maybe the best way to deal with the shazam kind of characters which is to kind of subvert their golly gosh gee whiz wholesomeness um and maybe poke a little bit of fun of them uh, fun at them but also i kind of i really warmed to mary marvel i thought she was a really sweet character and um it was it's there's some really funny stuff done in the last couple of issues as well as she kind of is struggling with what she did while she was being mind controlled. Um, yeah, I, I was I was a, a really big fan of this. Um, I think it did some smart stuff. It did some really funny stuff, and it made me want to go back and read the rest of the JLI stuff um, from after the portion that Seb recommended back on that previous podcast. Um, and not least because the Justice League do turn up at the end of this comic, and there is some really really funny stuff with. Batman and uh, Martian Manhunter in particular. Um, so I would heartily recommend, formerly known as the Justice League, um, It's it reminded me of some of the funnier stuff that Marvel has been doing in the last couple of years, stuff like um, stuff like Howard the Duck and Squirrel Girl basically, um, except uh, probably uh, more successful than the majority of the Howard the Duck stuff that I read anyway. Um, so yeah, that was formerly known as the Justice League. Um but we'll move on now to Transformers More Than Meets the Eye, which was James's recommendation. Um, I only read the first three issues of this, which um, made up the first volume. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of like the first little mini story arc. Um, yeah, written by James Rod Robertson, Nick Roach, and um, seems to be uh, coming off the back of in Transformers continuity, the end of the war between the Decepticons and... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And the uh, Autobots. Yeah. Um, so I have no interest in Transformers as a concept. I've said this many times. And... Um, I kept being told that Transformers More Than Meets the Eye was something that I would be able to enjoy um, irregardless of that lack of interest in Transformers. Um, and I've got to be honest, reading the first issue of this, I was like, really? Is that really the case? Because I spent the whole first issue going, oh, who, who's this character? Who am I reading now? And what's... Of what they're referring to there, they're referring to something in Transformers history, and then I was getting bogged down in the, in the kind of, in the metaphor of things with the Autobots and Decepticons. I was going, well, are robots born as Autobots or Decepticons, or do they kind of choose to be an Autobot or a Decepticon? And in in which case, does it kind of work like, does it kind of work like nationality or race, or does it work as just kind of like, I don't know, like football teams, more kind of tribal affiliation? Um, why were they fighting? What's going? They're, I mean, they're, I, I, they're, they're on this off-world. They're on Cybertron. Do, do they? Do they come to Earth in this? Like, if they transform, why do they transform? What's the purpose of that? Like, why do robots? They're all robots anyway. Why? What's the basis of them transforming into something like a car or a plane or a memory stick? Like, I can understand if they're like in disguise on Earth, but what is the need for all of this when they're on Cybertron so all of that was stuff that I was confused about in the first issue and getting bogged down in that stuff and not really able to enjoy it um but the first issue I would say is largely set up and transition from obviously what they were doing before to what they're doing afterwards because basically by the end of this first issue a bunch of the characters here get onto a ship um and they decide well there's there's one robot in particular uh which I, for the for the life of me now even after reading i can't remember most of the names of these characters there is helpfully on the second on the back page of the second issue um a character page which i'm now going to bring up so i can remember who they are rodimus there we go rodimus is the leader of this gang and he's taking this arc out into space basically to search for the knights of cybertron i think um who are this this kind of mythical group of transformers from 10 million years ago um i don't think really any of that stuff ultimately matters i think kind of all you need to know is that these transformers are kind of idiots especially rodimus that he doesn't really know what he's doing they've all left cybertron they're looking for something that may or may not ever be there and because they're a bit hapless, things are going to go wrong. Things immediately do go wrong. And it's a bunch of firefighting from that point out. And basically what you've got is you've got a group of kind of uh, diverse and different robots stuck on this ship together. And um, 
some used to be Autobots, some used to be Decepticons, um, some seem like good guys, some seem like bad guys, some most of them seem not very competent or intelligent, and they're going to get into japes and hijinks around the universe. Um, and so, like, in the second issue, um, some uh, they discover that there is something on the ship that is ripping out people's uh, sparks, eating sparks. So it's kind of like they've got a monster on the ship. And it feels like a kind of uh, Red Dwarf, Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek kind of setup. That, you know, kind of any of those... Any, anything, uh, Serenity, Farscape, any of those kind of space set things where a group of characters are together and sci-fi adventures are happening around them, that's what this is. Um, I found it very difficult reading the comic to identify which characters were which, I think because I've, I've got Transformer face blindness. Um, so I kept having to kind of refer back to this page and trying to like it, but even though I would be looking at pictures and like, for example... If you put uh, on this page, I'm looking. There is Rodimus, Ratchet, Rung, Chrome Dome, Rewind, and Swerve, who also ha all have various red bits on their face. And because they all have red bits, I'm probably not sure which one is which at any point. I'm sure I'd get more used to that if I continued reading this comic. And to be fair, there is there is enough in there that I would be tempted to carry on. It is funny when the characters get going. Um, Swerve and Skids particularly are two characters um, who seem pretty fun. Um, I can see why people are saying you don't need to be a Transformers fan to like this. Having said that, I still do feel like Transformers, it being a Transformers comic, is a hurdle. I'd almost rather it was just this group of... 12 or 13 different human characters on a spaceship or even if they are robots if they were robots that weren't transformers and there wasn't any of that baggage to go around it i still do find that um a little bit of a barrier to me enjoying this comic um but that th that's that's on me there's still a lot of really good really funny stuff in here and i only got three issues in so i didn't really get to um any of the stuff that James or Al previously on the podcast had talked about, about the kind of the interesting romances that are, that's in this comic and the, the, the heartwarming moments and kind of I, I, some of, some of the depth that I'd heard there was here. I just kind of got a funny, uh, irreverent kind of space maroon setup here. Um, but that was, that was good enough to get me through the, the three issues. And I did kind of find myself enjoying it more as I got along it was it was just basically the fact that it was transformers was an issue for me and i wish it i wish it wasn't but it, it kind of is uh, so um i am I, I i would like to go back and read more of this and i'm and i'm sure i will um but yeah i i can't get really enthusiastic about it because it is transformers and i don't think that yet i've got to the stuff that everyone um, really, really raves about. Um, so that was uh, Transformers More Than Meets the Eye, and we'll move on to our recommendations now from our Batman Mask of the Phantasm episode, and we'll start off with Batman Year Two, um, which uh, I believe was uh, Seb's recommendation, um, if I remember correctly, and this is... Um, this is very, very similar to Batman Mask of the Phantasm, except, I would argue, 
not as good. Um, so this is uh, written by uh, Mike W. Barr and um, penciled by... Well, we've got Paul Neary, Alfredo Alcala, Marta Farmer and Todd McFarlane. And um, I'm not sure who there was there was introductions on the front page that suggested they all did pretty extensive work on this so i'll just name all of them um it does look great this comic i liked i liked the design of it um but yeah i thought it was remarkably similar to uh batman mask of the phantasm but maybe with that it was used as inspiration for the animated film but they changed it enough to make it better so yeah we do we do have a villain who is kind of like the phantasm here except he's called the reaper and he keeps going around saying fear the reaper so i listened to most of this comic with blue oyster cult running through my head um and the reaper is kind of he's a vigilante who's come to gotham and uh, apparently was in gotham 20 years ago when batman uh, before batman turned up uh, except he ruthlessly murders crims with his big cleavers and um we know from very early in the comic that this guy is the father of this girl who's turned up in the city uh rachel caspian who um is a charity worker and a trainee nun except she falls for bruce wayne um and decides to turn her back on being a nun during the course of this comic um but little does she know that she's actually dating Batman and her father is the Reaper. Um, and so that's that's kind of the main thrust of things. And that's where all the similarities to Mask of the Phantasm are. Um, I think that the way that Mask of the Phantasm does things with the kind of the love interest being the villain is more interesting than, than what's going on here. And it kind of wraps up the whole the whole stuff around the identity of the Reaper and how the various characters feel about it in the third act, because this is split up into three issues. Um, it It's not very satisfying. I think Mask of the Phantasm does a much better job. Um, the stuff that this has that's more new, unique to it, though, is Batman deciding to pick up a gun because he doesn't feel like he can defeat the Reaper without it. He feels like he's limited and that maybe he does have to compromise in terms of this weapon that he said he never would. Um, and he also decides to team up with the criminal element of Gotham to take down the Reaper, which leads him to working directly with jo Joe Chill, the man who murdered his parents. And again, I kind of thought that was a little bit on the nose, the fact that he was actually teaming up with Joe Chill. And it is unsettling seeing Batman carry a gun. I hadn't realised quite how much, so I knew that, for instance, Superman doesn't kill, and I knew that Batman doesn't really kill either. Um, but I, I, I don't think I'd fully grasped up to this point um, quite how much of an issue it was just Batman using a gun at all. And... It is jarring seeing him pick up one, and I can understand why a lot of people really didn't like that element of Batman v Superman. There was a lot of things I didn't like about Batman v Superman. That was never really a big deal for me, but I can imagine if you'd grown up reading reading stories about Batman not using a gun like Batman Year Two does, um, and kind of went, it's it's an unsettling thing to see him use it, and he doesn't really need it either. Um, so 
yeah, I, I, I can understand why that is now something that people don't like when they see Batman do it. Um, and also something that in in this comic is interestingly explored. Um, I think the gun stuff is more interesting than making him team up directly with Joe Chill. Um, but it allows for the story to do things with Batman getting over his lust for revenge and making it more of a kind of a mission to protect the city than uh, than anything of personal vengeance. Um, it's not. It's nowhere near on the level of Batman Year One either. Um, this is and and this story is more focused on Batman. There's there's very little Jim Gordon. Um, it's it's a, it's a spiritual sequel to Batman Year One rather than a direct one. I think it kind of plays with some of the ideas of uh, a, a relatively new Batman in Gotham. Um, but yeah, we're, we're nowhere near the kind of the the depth that Year One has. Um, having said that, I, I did I did kind of in, I did enjoy this comic. Um, I would just say that if you had the choice between either reading Batman Year Two or watching Batman Mask of the Phantasm, I would go for Mask of the Phantasm every time. I think it's a um, a more accomplished and uh, more interesting version of this story, personally. And I love so much about the animated series um, and what the Mask of the Phantasm does. Certainly more than Seven James did, I think. Um, so, yeah, uh, maybe um, if, if you're getting recommendations from Seb or James, they would say Batman Year Two, but I would go Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Um, but our final comic book recommendation now is Batman R.I.P., which is from uh, Grant Morrison, Tony Daniel, and Sandu Floria. Um, now, this is a six-issue arc. It looks like it uh, happened um, maybe about a year into Grant Morrison's work on Batman. Um, and from what I can tell, there has been some stuff set up in advance of, um, of this arc um, with the Black Glove organization, and Batman kind of uh, find, slowly finding out little details about this Black Glove organization um, who uh, seem like kind of League of shadows E, but not the League of Shadows. They were their own thing. Um, but basically, the Black Glove have decided to take Batman down and they've got a big plan put in place for how they're going to do it and that's going to unfold over the course of these issues. Um, and th they're basically trying to... Uh, mentally destroy him as much as anything else because they want to say show that they don't like the fact that there's this vigilante in Gotham uh, doing this kind of stuff and they want to reassert the kind of order that they have had over the world for potentially um, a long time uh, so that involves kind of enlisting the Joker to help them in their plans at one point um, it involves trying to take out a bunch of Batman's allies like Nightwing and Robin and Alfred um, and yeah, they basically uh, have planted some kind of trigger word, which is Zurenar, which will um, kind of, when Batman finally, someone says those words to him, uh, they will they will kind of send him loopy and um, destroy his uh, destroy his mind. Um, there's uh, basically what happens is Batman is then. Has created some kind of almost like backup personality, so Bruce Wayne has been removed, and all that's re all that remains is Batman. So he's kind of psychotic, and he becomes the Batman of Zurenar, and starts going around 
uh, Gotham with less morals than he used to have. Um, so he can kind of fight his way back to taking down the Black Glove, which will all ultimately unfold in Arkham Asylum and bring the Joker into things. Um, this is a Grant Morrison comic, so there's so much stuff going on. I don't think I could explain all the various aspects of it. When Batman's going nuts, he imagines Batmite talking to him quite a lot. Um, and Batmite is kind of being a mischievous... Uh, well, Bat Batmite is kind of his spirit guide almost um in 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 this comic and kind of gets explained that he is part of batman's imagination and always has been and that but that doesn't mean that he's not from the fifth dimension because the fifth dimension is that is memory uh or that isn't that is the imagination plane or something like that and so i think this was grant morrison doing his whole explaining every aspect of the batman law as if it happened so that is Batmite fitting into things as if he was he did happen and he was always there. Um, th there's there's a lot in here, um, and um, I kind of didn't feel fully equipped to understand it all, having not read all of uh, Grant Morrison's uh, previous work on Batman, and um, and also not knowing the character with quite as much depth as. Um, as someone who's been reading him my entire life, but I, I do feel like I'm getting more and more of Batman, and there was certainly a lot of stuff in in this comic that I liked. In fact, I, I, I found the story really satisfying, in fact. Um, I just... I just I, I wished I had more knowledge and more context. So when I'm reading the Transformers stuff, for example, I'm kind of going, I don't understand this, but I have no desire to go and find out more about Transformers lore. I'll just kind of go with it. Whereas here, I kind of wanted to go back and read the rest of the Grant Morrison stuff, and I wanted to go back and read some of the Batmite stuff, um, and and uh, from 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 way back when, and and um, I wanted to know a little bit more about various different characters here. And um, having said that, I, I yeah, it still it still worked as a six issue art for me, and. Um, I guess the thesis of this story is basically it's that thing that Batman's always prepared or Batman will always win. Like that Seven James was talking about, if all the superheroes fought each other, it doesn't matter that Batman doesn't have superpowers because he will he will find a way to win, he'll find a way to prevail because he's Batman. And that's definitely what you get from this story. Like every eventuality has been considered and the Joker knows that as well. He kind of in this in the final showdown after he plays his part, kind of laughs laughs at the Black Glove organization and says, "It you know, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter that you think you've won. It doesn't matter that at that point you've buried Batman alive because he's going to emerge from that grave in a minute and come back and defeat you. You just don't know it yet. Um, and that is what happens. It's um." It's a great story. It does end with Batman seemingly dying, um, but I get the impression that it's a it's a temporary thing, not not a uh, not not a fixed thing by any means, um, because um, I don't think Batman stayed dead after this. Um, and we've just read a story about how Batman 
uh, will never really lose. He he is prepared for everything. So I don't think you can read the end of the story and go, oh yeah, he's probably dead there. Um, so yeah, that was Batman R.I.P. Um, and I would say probably, I think formerly known as Justice League was my favourite comic from this week. Um, Batman R.I.P. was a close second. And I would say I'm most intrigued uh, to read more of Transformers more than meets the eye uh, to kind of get to some more of the stuff that James and Al had told me about that comic um, and Batman Year 2 was fine but felt like I'd kind of mostly got that stuff already from Batman Mask of the Phantasm um, but that's it for this week's Megasode, um, don't forget that our next episode will be on Logan I think we're going to have um, a special guest for that episode which um should be pretty exciting. Um, I can't wait for Logan. I'm hearing good things about it. I haven't seen it yet. James has. Um, and yeah, uh, the more I hear, the more, the more I, my hopes are getting high and that has, that has done in for me in the past. That has, the high expectations has been a, a bad thing in the past, but hopefully it won't be this time. Hopefully Logan will, uh, will hit the right spot for me. Um, but yeah, so we'll have our Logan episode with you next week um, as soon as we can. The film is released in the UK on Tuesday and I'm hoping to see it either then or Wednesday. So hopefully the podcast will be with you before the end of the week. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can find more episodes of the podcast at cinematicmultiverse.com. And you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.